Good evening, gentlemen. Welcome back. Uh, we are joining once again in such lovely company with such a delicious chalent. Uh, the end of such another lovely and delicious week. We're rolling into Shabbos Kodesh once again Thursday night. Parshas Vayichi is a big week. Vayichi. We're finishing Bereshis. Is the week of Chazak. Chazak. Then is Chazak our first Chazak. Our first Chazak since uh, Simchas Torah. Big stuff. So we gotta end with a bang over here, and Bereshis with a knack, as we say, go with a with a with a with a you know with fireworks over here. So try to talk about discuss a couple ideas from Vayichi. Chaim, everyone, Chaim, Chaim, Baruch Atzar, Do you know Elohim Melech Elam Shakoni Bivorei? Chaim, Chaim. So Vayichi. The bulk of Vayichi, obviously, is the blessings, the brachas that Yaakov gives his sons, right before he will is going to be passing away. Vayikrubu Yimei Yisrael Lomos, the days of Yaakov Avinu were approaching um, before his his uh, impending petira, and it's time for him to call his children together to give them his his, his brachas before he's nifter. He blesses his children. And the Torah itself does refer to these as brachas. As brachas. You know, it says um, at the end of the parasha, we definitely refer to them as brachas. The birchas Yaakov, that's Klai Yisrael, collectively refers to this parasha as the birchas Yaakov, the brachas of Yaakov Avinu. Um, And the Torah confirms this. This is what the their father spoke to them. And this, this is the concluding pasuk after the brachas are over. He blessed them. Each one of them according to his bracha. According to his bracha. Um, so the Torah refers to these and identifies these as brachas. And the, the immediate question we have to ask, just as a preface to getting into the, the sugya, the topic and the discussion of the brachas of Yaakov, the blessings that he gave his children, is, uh, yeah, a lot of these are definitely brachas. A lot of these are brachas. A lot of these are clear blessings. Um, he blesses Binyamin with, with, with the Beis HaMikdash. The Mizbech is going to be in Binyamin's territory. Um, Reb Herschel is asking about God. God God is being blessed with... Um, with 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 um, victory in going out to war, Usher is blessed with a rich fertile territory. So many of them are indeed getting blessings, but some of them seem to be getting criticism. Mm-hmm. Shimon and Levi get a lot of flack. Reuven gets a lot of criticism from his father. And if you look at Reuven, Shimon, and Levi, their, their father identifies their anger. They were too quick to kill out the city of Shem. Reuven. Was so was so was so um, swift in his wrath when he stood to defend his mother's honor, and we don't see immediately on the surface the blessings. We see a, a, crit, a criticism. We see Yaakov pointing out their flaws and identifying mm-hmm. their deficiencies. How can the Torah group all of these addresses together under one blanket title of brachas? This is, these are the blessings that Yaakov gave his, his sons. A lot of them did get blessings, but not all of them. Some of them, again, are getting patches. Some of them are getting critique. Some of them are getting criticism. Some of them are getting rebuke. 
how can we refer to this collectively as as blessings? And there's a beautiful answer that the Mepharshim say, we'll start off with this, that the biggest blessing you can give someone, the biggest bracha you can give someone is the, the bracha, the blessing of self-awareness, of understanding himself, understanding his strengths and his weaknesses, his flaws, his shortcomings, and where he shines. And ultimately, that's first of all, that's a bracha of itself. You know, the more I try to shield and shelter my kids and and whitewash their flaws, paper over their shortcomings, I'm really damaging them. I'm not really helping them. Ultimately, in the long run, in the long run, you know, eventually they're going to have to face real life. Eventually, they're going to have to, you know, deal with traffic law and, 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 and uh, you know, um, tax laws and, and uh, you know, uh, employment laws. And even before that, they're going to have to go to school and deal with teachers and administration and principals and principals and teachers <laughs> and all these kinds of things that are going out there in, in real life. These things are, are real in real life. And if, you know, I constantly am a parent that only gives praise, only lavishes attention, smothers my child with adulation, and I can't give any criticism, even constructive <laughs> criticism, ultimately, you are you are damaging and, and, and perhaps even destroying your child. You're not getting them ready for real life. If you can't point out their flaws, if you can't point out their shortcomings to them. Now, pointing out their flaws and shortcomings doesn't mean telling your kids that they're stupid, that they're dumb, tell them all the dumb things that they're doing and all the stupid things that they're doing. That's not what's meant necessarily by pointing out flaws and shortcomings. It's constructive criticism, doing things in a loving manner. But if I really love my children, I will, out of that love, give them constructive criticism and take them aside. And, and, and yes, I will lecture them. And I will offer the critique. And I will point out to them where they are flawed. I will point out to them where they have shortcomings. Why? Because I have to get them ready for life. But it goes beyond that. Let's build this up in two steps. So first of all, sometimes the biggest blessing, the biggest bracha that I can give you is when I give you the gift of self-awareness. Ruben, Shimon, and Levi, this is who you guys are. You have to get in touch with who you are. You have to get in touch with, with your shortcomings. And again, if I don't point that out to my kids, that could be a curse, not a blessing. That could be a curse. Taking that a step further, a beautiful idea, not just the biggest blessing is pointing out someone's flaws to them, someone's shortcomings to them, someone's shortcomings to them, not only that's a blessing in and of itself, but that leads to the ultimate blessing because ultimately every character trait that a person has is always a double-edged, a double-edged, not a sword because that doesn't have a good connotation, but a double-edged ball of chalent. That's right, a double-edged ball of chalent. Now, a ball of chalent has, um, what does it mean a double-edged ball of chalent? It could be a ball of chalent that has one edge that, that it could, the whole thing will slosh over and slop down into my pants, boiling hot shalm, plopping down into your lap. Very uncomfortable, very painful. And you're not going to get anything out of that shalm but second degree burns. Or the other edges are the edge of the where I eat from the shalm pole and I enjoy it and I, and I savor it and I put it to good use. Every character trait is a double edged bowl of shalm. Meaning, if I don't recognize it as a flaw, and it maintains itself as a flaw, and I don't, I'm not, I'm not directed to it, I'm not given the insight to detect it, it will, it will always come back to haunt me. It will always be there to weigh me down, to trip me up. Like the character flaws that we point out in the parsha to Ruben, Shimon, and Levi. 
if they're not pointed out to me, they're like that shalom ball that only spills the shalom into my lap. But when my flaws are pointed out to me, every flaw can be refined, can be perfected, and be, can become an asset. Every character flaw can become an asset. And what 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 were we upset with Ruvain, Shimon, and Levi about? Their wrath, their anger. They were too quick. Shimon and Levi wiped that entire city. They wiped that entire city because they got angry at what to happen to Dina, their sister. Ruvain was 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 impudent and disrespectful to his father. He switched the beds, moved the bedroom because because at, at his defense for his his mother's honor. So those were flaws and shortcomings they had. But when you point it out to me, and you let me see that I have this issue with getting angry too quickly, so good, A, I see that you pointed out to me, that's a blessing, that's a tremendous blessing, you're giving me self-awareness. B, I can harness that and actually put that to good use, I can make that productive. I can, I can, I can capitalize on what was otherwise a flaw, and I can apply it towards something good. It's, it, it, I can turn the bowl around, and when you show me that bowl of chant, now that I see that it's there, instead of it, you know, sloshing down onto my lap and, 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 and getting all over my pants, I can turn it around and I can, you, you show, I, I can put that to use. I can actually utilize that trait. So something like, let's say, Shimon and Levi. Yaakov points out to them, or Apam ki uz. Their, their wrath is so fierce. Their wrath, their anger is so, so powerful. Yes, so it was misused. It was misapplied against the city of Shem when they wiped out the city. But it can be applied for good things also. Someone has, Anger, intolerance, that can be applied for good things also, and that can allow me to take a stand for, for matters that are pure and holy. Like Pinchas, that's right, exactly. That's taking anger, and instead of it directing me to be haphazard, to be chaotic, and to destroy an entire city, I can say, where Klaistol didn't know what to do, uh, when, when there was a, where there was a public desecration of God's name, Pinchas was the one that was able to able to take a stand and say, I can't tolerate this. Intolerance. And, you know, that's something that we can all work on a little bit, I think. You know, America, the Western world certainly trains us to be what? There's one thing the Western world trains us to be. It's tolerant. tolerant. That's right. Tolerance. And and uh, you, who here has um, gotten uh, training, on-the-job training, how to deal with customer relations? So, oh, so Abigail Saul, tell us a little bit about this. You have a customer who's... Who's 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 one hundred percent legally insane, right? Yeah. They come in there one hundred percent legally insane, but you have to what? Be tolerant. Be very tolerant. Um, yeah. That's right. You have to be very tolerant. Uh, someone comes in that's in utter desecration to all matters sacred and holy, and they're flaunting their, desec- their desecration of all matters sacred and holy. Gesundheit. Gesundheit. Um. So we're trained a little bit to be, you know, very tolerant. Oh, so that's, that's so nice. So that's your truth. That's your, that's so good for you. Good for you. So that's your truth. So, so you, you believe that you're a buffalo. And, and that it's therefore you don't have to walk around with clothes on, right? <laughs> Buffaloes don't wear clothes. Hey, that's great. That's your truth. Okay. Well, I believe I'm a human being and as such I have to walk around dressed, clothed. You know, I have to act like you know, you believe you're a buffalo. That's terrific. So, so this is, you know, what the Western world has trained us is to have into, is to have tolerance and everyone is to be valued and respected and everything goes and any mishagas, any narishkite that anybody comes up with 
is valid and has to, and, and, and not just tolerated, but but should be should be um, should be venerated. Should be venerated. So when you have a meat of, of anger, that Shimon and Levi had yet can be misdirected. That flaw, but that flaw can be turned around. It can be sharpened and honed. That instead of venerating desecration of God's name, it has to be denigrated, not venerated. It has to be put down, not promoted. That taking the meat of cast of anger and using it properly. So this is why that is the ultimate bracha, the ultimate blessing. Is two steps. That's why, although Yaakov gives out a lot of critique, a lot of criticism in this week's parasha to his children, many of them don't get what seem to be on the surface blessings, and yet the Torah calls them all blessings. The idea over here is such a beautiful idea, beautiful idea for us and for you know Bez Hashem when we raise our children. The biggest blessing is to give your children self awareness, self awareness in a loving, caring, kind, and 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 respectful way. But self awareness, the biggest blessing, a allows them. To grow, it allows them to develop, to be able to be prepared for real life. And B, it B, the B is every flaw, every shortcoming can be turned 180 degrees, and I can tap into my natural flaws are also my natural assets. My natural weaknesses are my natural strengths, and I can, if I discover what's pulling me the wrong direction over here, I can hone that, sharpen it, refine it, and take it in the right direction over there. Everybody got that? A very beautiful idea. Okay. Otherwise, the Shem wouldn't be given it to you. That's right. That's exactly right. Okay. So now we're going to focus on one, one, one of the specific blessings, and that's the blessing that Yisachar is given. Yisachar, who is one of the twelve sons of Yaakov, is. Um, we know that Yisachar. Let's see this all together. The beautiful pasuk and a beautiful Rashi to read. This is, um, if you have the Hebrew-English one, it's page 278. Um, and if you have a different edition, we are in Perik Memtes Pasuk Yudalim, chapter 49, verse 14. So let's read the Pasuk, we'll translate in English, and we'll try to figure out what kind of blessing this is. Yisachar Chamor Gorem. Yisachar is, well, our school translates this as a strong bone donkey. Yisachar, you're, you're a strong donkey. Okay, maybe uh, I'll come back. I'll wait online. I'll go back online. Wait for the next one, right? Wait for the next bracha. Reivet's been a mishpatayim. He rests between between the borders. He's a strong donkey, and he rests between the borders. So, what kind of bracha is this? I mean, it's definitely not criticism, but what kind of bracha? What kind of blessing is this? Being compared to a donkey. Um, so we know that Yisachar was the 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 member of the twelve tribes, the son of Yaakov, that represents what? What 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 um faction of Klaisrol does Yisachar represent? The Tamidi Chacham. Excellent, excellent. Five points for Yeshua Lindenbaum. What? The Tamidi Chacham, the Torah scholars. Yisachar represents the Torah scholars. The Torah scholars come from Yisachar. The Pasuk says, Ubnei Yisachar, Yoidei Bina Itim. Yoide Itim. The um, Bnei Yisachar were the ones that produced the, the Sanhedrin, came from the Bnei Yisachar, the, the Bezdin, the Dayanim, the sages, the judges, the Torah scholars, they're coming from Yisachar. Okay? Um, okay, that's great. Why do we compare them to a donkey? Why a donkey? So, 
a donkey is what is a beast of burden. We 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 not only compare them to a donkey, Chamor Garim, a strong bone donkey, a very strong and powerful donkey. Yisachar, who are the Tamil Chachamim, are are beasts of burden. What are they? We we visualize them. The Torah is showing us in this pasuk is they are bearing and saddled with what with Kol Tarakula. It's it's a uh, you know to be able to to um, provide that service to be those people for Klai Yisrael, the Tamid Chacham um, that are the Torah giants, the Torah scholars. That that requires having a repository of a tremendous amount of knowledge, and it requires a lot of strength um, and perseverance and and temerity to accumulate this knowledge and, and walk around with this knowledge. To walk around with this knowledge, um, the Balei Moser tell us over here that um, we compare them to a donkey as well. A donkey that's saddled up, saddled up with 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 uh, the, the packs and the burdens. And the, the wares, right? There's a donkey. Is you load your donkey up with all your merchandise, mm-hmm. and you take the donkey around from town to town. Anyway, a tamachacham, we're told, is like compared to a donkey who's saddled with his wares. Wherever the tamachacham goes, he's never really on vacation. You know, a Torah scholar has a break, has 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 a, a few days off. He takes his farm with him. He takes his Torah with him. He takes his learning with him. He's always thinking about something. He's always has something cooking. A good question rolling around his head. He's always willing to, always not willing, interested, looking to share a good vart, a good vart with somebody, a good cash on the parsha, a good idea, a good daher and insight. That's what it means. He's like a donkey that saddled up. That the Bali must say this idea. But I wanna, I wanna, I wanna focus on the second half of the pasuk. It says that he is a. This this pasuk is talking about again Tamid Chachamim Torah scholars. And there's a beautiful insight. If we read the Pasuk very carefully together with what Rashi shares, we have a beautiful insight into what it means to be a Torah scholar. And it's very relevant for each and every one of us at this table because each and every one of us is a Torah scholar in their own way and in their own right. Because if you possess any amount of Torah wisdom, you are a Tamil Chacham because you have knowledge that you can now share with somebody else. There are people that are thirsting for your knowledge. So each and every one of us is really um, relevant so this idea, and this idea is really relevant to each and every one of us. We're all budding Tavid Chacham, and we're all Torah scholars and in possession of Torah knowledge in our own way. And listen to this. Listen to the insight that we get from the second half of the Pasuk. So we're told, Yisachar is a strong donkey. He rests between the borders. He rests between the borders. So again, the imagery the Pasuk is giving us is, is of this donkey. That's saddled up with these wares. That's the Talmud Chacham, the Torah scholar, that's saddled with Talmud Bavli and Yushalmi and, and Chumish with Rashi and Mishnayis and, 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 and Kol Tarakula. And he rests between the borders. I Meaning he rests on the go. He, the Talmud Chacham, the Torah scholar, is the one who's not trying to pamper himself. He's not trying to, you know, take the easy, easy life and the easy way out. He's not, you're not getting geschmack asleep at night, geschmack asleep during the day, sweet knees. He's, he chaps a, some shut eye where he can. He gets a nap where he's able to, he gets rest where he's able to. That's like the donkey resting between the borders. That's what we mean. He rests between the borders. He rests on the job. Meaning, he doesn't, uh, have, 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 uh, he puts his head down for a few minutes here and there. And then he gets up again and keeps going. But the Torah specifically says that he rests between the borders. And let's look at a Rashi together. This is the Rashi on the left-hand column over here on page 278, if we still have this, this the big blue edition over here, of the big blue Chumash. And if we have another edition against the Rashi, Perik, Papasuk Yedal, Perik Memtes, chapter 49, verse 14, 
Rivet's been a mishpatayim. Yasachar, the Tamil Chacham of Klai Yisrael, are these donkeys that rest between the borders. So Rashi starts off by saying what we said. Like a donkey that's there, you know, transporting goods. It goes, it travels during the day, travels at night. It doesn't, it doesn't get a, a good night's sleep at home. Now, where does the donkey go to sleep? It doesn't go to sleep at home. It sleeps outside, on, outside on the road. It sleeps on the road, on the job. It goes inside the road and sleeps on the road, right? So that's a tamachachim also. We have to be You know, you're learning in the base medish. You put your head down for a few minutes. You're going to go home and take a nap, a three-hour nap. That's it. You lost the whole city. You lost the whole learning session, right? The donkey doesn't go home to sleep. The donkey sleeps by the side of the road. Okay, so let's go. Let's look at the next line of Rashi. Kashu writes l'nuach rivets made at chumim. When the donkey want, needs to take a break, again he rests between the borders. It rests at the borders, the, the, the edge of the city. The border of the city, which is its destination, where it is bringing its merchandise. The donkey is bringing its merchandise to point B. So the donkey, again, is loaded up with merchandise, going from point A to point B. It rests between the borders. Uh, before it gets to its destination, where it's bringing its merchandise, it rests on the side of the road. Okay, so again, the, the lesson on the surface is quite clear that the Tamil Chacham is like the donkey; that he's not looking to pamper himself, he's not looking for a luxurious life. His focus is his learning. His focus is, is building himself up in Torah knowledge, and where he can get uh, some some uh, shluffy, he gets a shluffy wherever he can shluff. But Rashi throws something in at the end of the pasuk, which seems at the end of this comment which seems to be a little bit unnecessary. And here's where we have to focus in. The last three words seem to be unnecessary. And gratuitous, which also means unnecessary. Okay? So it was probably unnecessary for me to say the word gratuitous. So, says Rashi, The donkey rests at the side of the road before it gets to the city where it's bringing its wares. Why did Rashi have to throw that in where the donkeys bring its wares? The focus is not really the donkey. The focus is... The, the Tamar Chacham is Yisachar, who is like the donkey. And in what way is Yisachar like the donkey? That he rests wherever he can. His focus is his learning. His focus is steiging. His focus is becoming a Tamar Chacham. His focus is becoming a Torah giant, a Torah scholar. So he rests at the side of the road. In the middle of his learning, he puts his head down. That's the focus. Why do we need to know that the donkey rests at the side of the road before he gets to the city where he's bringing his wares? Why is that necessary for the analogy and the imagery of comparing the donkey to Yisachar the Tamar Chacham? Everybody hear the question? I didn't need to know that part. The answer is, I did need to know that part because that's a fundamental part of what it means to be a Tamil Chacham and what it means to be a Torah scholar and a Torah giant and someone who possesses Torah knowledge, which is each and every one of us who is becoming like a Yisachar in our own right. A fundamental critical part of this Torah scholar is not just that we're like the donkey that will rest wherever we can, but we're like the donkey in that we are actually transporting wares from point A to point B. The Tam Chacham is like the donkey that he's saddled up. What is, what is the Tam Chacham, the Torah scholar? What is he loaded up with? What's his merchandise? Knowledge. His Torah knowledge, his learning. And just like the donkey, what's the point of the donkey being loaded up with his merchandise because it's fun? Because that's what donkeys like? To carry it. To carry it? Donkeys like to carry things? Got strong bones. He's got strong bones, so you may as well carry something. Come on, we can do better than that. Why is a donkey carrying merchandise? To bring it to the world. To bring it to the world, to bring it from point A to point B. Export. Merchandise. He's there to bring, this donkey is transporting what? Crackpots. So people, so Kleiser can make chalms, right? Or, or, who knows what else? 
He's transporting things. He's transporting materials. Frakmatia, Rashi says, merchandise. The, 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 the point of the, of the donkey, the role of the donkey is to transport, export from point A to point B. There are wares in point A, merchandise in city A. They need that merchandise in city B, so the donkey transports it. You load him up so he can bring it from point A to point B. Rashi throws that point in because that is one of the fundamental ideas in being a Torah scholar as well, being a Tamachacham. A Tamachacham has to recognize and realize that he's not just saddled up with all this information, he's saddled up with this information for a purpose to transport it, to bring it to somewhere else, to disseminate it, to share it. If he has information, the information is there to be shared. If he has information, the information is not just there for him to feel good about himself, to feel, to feel elitist, to feel, for him to feel fulfilled, for him to have the thrill and, 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 and the gratification of knowing that he knows so much, which is thrilling, it's certainly thrilling, but that's not really what a Yisachar is, that's not really what a Tamachacham is. A Tamachacham is someone who saddled up all, all this information to do what? Exactly what the donkey does. Frakmati is bringing it from point A to point B. I'm, ha- I'm in possession of the information to share it. I'm going there to that thing to share with everybody. I guess on my way I'm going to take a nap on the side of the road. But the side of the road is not my destination. My destination is point B, where there's an audience, where there's a community, where there are people that are thirsting for this information that I'm saddled up with. That's why I have this information. And now we see why this is so relevant for every Tamachacham understanding what his role is. The role of a Tamachacham is a Torah scholar, a Torah giant. He has that information to share the information, to give it over to where it's needed, to share it with those who thirst for it. And why that's so relevant for us, each and every one of us. If you know something, you have to share it with somebody else. If you know Torah... You have one piece of information that you're saddled up with. The reason you have that is not just for your own self-fulfillment and gratification and for the thrill of enlightenment, which it certainly is thrilling to have enlightenment, but it's to find that point B, find that city where they need you, that audience that thirsts for your knowledge and share it with somebody else. That's the point of being the Yisach, that's the point of being the Tamachacham, that's the point of receiving knowledge, is to share and disseminate the knowledge. Question? So that's a very, very powerful idea, Rabbi Yisrael. There is a question. What? There is a question. Why are they being rebuilt at the very last minute of his life? Okay, that's an excellent question. And, and uh, Moshe did the same thing. Because we find the end of the parasha. Oh, very good. Excellent. So so Rashi points out, Rashi asks Ilya's question, not over here, but in the Vazayis HaBracha, Moshe, in the end of the Torah, does the same thing. He... He gives his review to Kleistral, I mean in Zvarim rather, in Zvarim, right. right before the end of his life. Mm-hmm. And then Rashi draws the parallel between Moshe and Yaakov, your question. And Rashi says they both waited till the end of their life to give rebuke. Mm-hmm. One reason, as the Oedem is pointing out, is so that you shouldn't be able to answer back. Another reason is you're more receptive, you're more receptive no, when more you don't have someone to answer back. Meaning, if I know you gave me rebuke and you're watching to see what I'm going to do, <laughs> go fly, go fly kite, go jump in the lake. I'm not listening to you. But if you gave rebuke, you're not around anymore yeah. for me to yeah, defy. So uh, I have less reason to disobey, to defy you, and I actually can can process, I can process. But that's a very good question. Okay. Anyway, it's a beautiful idea, Rabbi Isai. We all have knowledge. Each and every one of us has knowledge. If you have knowledge, you have to share the knowledge. It's there to make Klai Yisrael a more knowledgeable place. Let's. We have time, I think, for one more idea. It's amazing. We have uh, time for one last idea on the parsha. A little bit of a scary idea. Um, we're going to build off of a well-known fact. We're going to try to take that to a whole nother level. 
So there's something that on the surface looks very inspiring, but the commentators tell us that it has actually a very gloomy tinge to it. And that is the final exchange between Yosef and his brothers after Yaakov passes away. So Yaakov gives all of the all of his sons blessings. Yaakov passes away. He's not, Yaakov's not around anymore. Now who's left in Egypt? Who's left in Israel? All the brothers and Yosef. So the Gemara says that Yaakov did not pass away. What does that mean exactly? The Gemara asks, but they embalmed him. It says they embalmed him. Why they embalmed him if he wasn't? Good, that's an excellent question, but that's beyond the scope of tonight's discussion. Herschel, maybe, maybe next year, maybe. But anyway, that's going to take us very, very, uh, in the different directions. But anyway, but, but we have, we have knowledgeable people with us. Yes. Simple question again. Uh, how long would the, uh, trip take until the final destination of the burial? From Why? Egypt to Israel? Is that the reason why? Because it, it would take a few days. They had, they had mourning in Egypt, and also Yosef was unsure as to when he was going to secure permission from Paro to go mm-hmm. bury him. Eventually he did get permission, but he was, wasn't clear if he was going to get the permission. Um, okay, so, so... He was essentially mummified. Yeah, um, maybe. Maybe. It says he was embalmed. So I don't know. Yeah, yeah. The mummification is one way of doing it. Um, all right, anyway... So, uh, there's a problem. Yaakov is no longer around, and the brothers are left alone with Yosef now. Now they're very fearful. What are, they're afraid, afraid of what? Yosef is going to get his revenge. Mm-hmm. He's, they're fair, afraid of, of the vengeance of Yosef. That's right. This, that's what the Pasuk says. That's what the Parsha says. Okay? <laughs> so they're afraid like this. Well, listen, they, 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 they betrayed him. They, betray, they sold him as a slave. They wanted to kill him. And but they're afraid that what? Yes, he's been very nice, he but he, he was... Did he? <laughs> let's learn the parasha together. Let, let's let's clear aside any preconceived notions we may have. Let's clear our minds, clear our heads, clear our noses if we need to, and let's <laughs> let's exp- let's explore this together right now. Okay? So they're afraid that what? Yeah, he was very nice to them all those years, but maybe that's only because Yaakov was alive. He was doing it out of respect to his father, right? So it says immediately, immediately after um, he, the Ayaka passes away. This is page two eighty six, uh, in the in the big blue edition of the big blue Chumash, Perek Nun Pasik Tezvav, chapter fifty, verse fifteen. The brothers of Yosef saw that the father passed away. Maybe Yosef bears a grudge against us. Maybe he's really upset with us still. Maybe he never really got over it. The fact that we wanted to kill him, we sold him to slavery all those all those years ago, thirty thirty nine years ago. The Hoshev, I'm sorry, 22, 22 years ago. No, 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 uh, 35 years ago. The Hoshev, Yashiv Lanu, is Kolara Shagamanu, so maybe he's going to pay us in kind now for what we did to him all those years ago. Maybe now he's going to get his revenge. He's going to throw us into the pit. He's going to sell us, uh, down the river, right? So they're very afraid. And out of fear, they made something up. They fabricated something. By Yitzhavel Yosef Lemur, they commanded Yosef saying, Our father left over this last will and testament. Our father said the following. Our father told us, Jacob told us, Tell your brother Yosef, Please forgive the iniquity, the wrongdoing of your brothers. Although they did bad to you. Please forgive them. Please forgive them. So please forgive them. They say, listen, Yosef, this is a secret message that our father told us before he died. 
Now, the father never said this. So Rashi says, out of fear, out of panic, they made this up. And Yosef chapped right away, they were making it up. And Yosef felt bad. Yosef wept when they said this to him. Because Yosef really had gotten over it. They said, please forgive us. And Yosef cried, Let's listen to what he says. So Yosef says to them, Don't be afraid, my brothers. There's nothing to fear. Am I, instead of God, did I take God's place? Let's look at the next puzzle. You, yes, had an evil plan. You were plotting evil plots against me. Yes, you wanted to kill me. I know that. Hashem flipped the whole thing around. God orchestrated the whole thing that instead of me having a life of slavery, I was in the right place at the right time. It was only because you sold me to Egypt um, uh, to, to be in charge of Egypt, to interpret the dreams, and to keep all of you alive in, in the years of famine. The whole thing was divine providence from beginning to end for me to be able to sustain you. It was all hashkacha pratis. So it says Yosef, am I in God's place? God is the one that calls the shots. It, was all, it all came from Hashem. That's what he told them back, right? It all came from Hashem. So it sounds like it, we're all good now, right? Yeah. Sounds amazing and inspirational. They want forgiveness. Yes, says, what do you mean? There's nothing to forgive you guys for. It all came from God. Hashkacha pratis. Hashem worked the whole thing out. The Rishonim tell us a chilling idea over here, a chilling idea, which gives the whole thing an entirely different and very gloomy spin. The Rishonim, Rebbeinu Bechaya says that they never got what they wanted. He points out that they asked Yosef for forgiveness and he never actually forgave them. He never said, I forgive you. What did he say? He gave them a very lofty, grandiose idea. And he said, there's nothing to forgive you for. He said, the whole thing came from God. Mm-hmm. You didn't really sell me to Egypt. It was all God's plan. It was all part of God's vision. Okay. It was all divine providence. Okay. He, they asked for forgiveness, and did he forgive them? No. He never said, He never said, I'm Michael. They wanted to hear, That's what they wanted to hear, that he was Michael. He never said, I'm Michael, you. Instead, he said, he didn't say that either. He said, God will forgive you. He said, there's nothing to forgive you for. You hear the difference? Because it was all part of God's plan. Yes, you had an evil plot against me, but it was all part of Ashkoch HaPratis. Says Since he never said he forgave them, they were never forgiven. And since they never got their forgiveness, that's why we had centuries later, the ten martyrs, the Asura Haruge Machas, the ten martyrs, the ten... Sages that we talk about them on Yom Kippur, we talk about them on, on, on Tishabov, Rabbi Akiva, Rabbi Chani ben Shradjon, uh, Rabbi Shmol, Rabbi Yudah ben Bava. Rabbi Nebuchadnezzar says this is Yosef's fault. Okay. Wow. That's scary. Now, this is a very scary idea. Now, we only have two minutes left, so we're going to have to compress quite a lot into the remaining two minutes over here. This is a big idea that's to be discussed, but let me just try to, try to say a lot in, 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 in a little mm-hmm. amount of time. A very scary idea. He says that Yosef should have said, I forgive you. And he didn't say, I forgive you. <coughs> he Instead, he, he 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 really meant what he said. He said, you didn't do anything wrong. It was all part of Hashem's plan. But since he didn't forgive them, how many brothers were involved in that plot? How many brothers needed forgiveness? Ten. Because ten, Benjamin wasn't a part of it. And that's why we had, centuries later, ten Jews had to take their place. Ten Jews had to die horribly. Because Yosef never forgave them. So now, with questions like this, Good Yosef didn't forgive them. But he did even better than forgiving them. He said, you don't need forgiveness. Mm-hmm. It was all Hashem. It was all Hashem. So where did Yosef go wrong? What's the problem with saying it was all part of Hashem's plan? And the answer is like this. Was Yosef incorrect? 
on the one hand, how could he be incorrect? What he's saying is true. It was all part of Hashem's plan. On the other hand, if he wasn't incorrect, then how could the brothers have been punished so horribly for, for not getting the, eliciting the forgiveness of Yosef? The terrorists like this. The, 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 the idea that lies at the bottom of this, of this chilling, frightening thought over here is Yosef is not incorrect, but he is incorrect for, for people that are down here. I mean, what's Yosef telling them? Yosef's telling them an idea which is a very lofty idea, very grandiose, and very, very, very supreme in its outlook, very transcendental. He's at a very high place where he's essentially together with Hashem. And from Hashem's perspective, up in the control tower, yes, everything is according to divine plan, everything is supposed to happen, it's all Ashkacha Pratis. When you're up there with Hashem's outlook, yes, everything is what Hashem wants. But down here, we exist in the realm of free will, of action and reaction, of decision and consequence. And down here, we don't see clearly Hashem's divine plan. Hashem knows what the plan is. But down here, we live step by step, action by action. And we live in a realm where someone can do something wrong, can do something bad, and they require forgiveness. And in a realm that's down here, it's correct for me to give them that forgiveness. I have to relate to the people down here from a perspective which is down here. The moment you begin to relate to people down here from a higher lofty perspective, then you are you are um, out of whack. You're out of sync. That perspective is correct when you're on your own, when you're up there with Hashem, when you're down Shimon Esrei. That's the right perspective on life. When you're down here mingling with, with, with human beings, with, with Christ, with people down here, you have to take the perspective of the down here perspective. And when someone asks for forgiveness, it's a person who has free will, who employed that free will incorrectly and asking for forgiveness, I have to forgive them. He requires my forgiveness, I have to give him forgiveness. That's what Yosef was supposed to do. His perspective is correct when he's alone, when he's all on his own by Hashem. When he's down here dealing with his brothers, it's an incorrect perspective. And when do people make this mistake routinely? When we have to deal with someone who is suffering, let's say, chasashom tragedy, someone who is mourning the, 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 the death of a loved one, someone who's bereaved, someone who's in, in a shiva house. So when we have that take where we're by Hashem, what do we see when we're up there by Hashem? Everything's for the best. Everything's beautiful. Everything's wonderful, right? So you go to a shiva house and you give the guy a pat on the back. You say, you know, you may be very sad right now, but everything is for the best. This is really a great, amazing thing that happened. You'll see. This is, this is very good. This is coming directly from God. That's the highest act of insensitivity that a human being can perpetrate. That's completely insensitive. Because yes, from Hashem's perspective, it was all good. Someone goes belly up, someone goes bankrupt, loses all of his money. So you go and say, you know, it looks like it's bad, but it's all according to Hashem's divine plan. Hashem has a plan, don't worry, it's going to be amazing. That is utter insensitivity, utter callousness and cruelty. That's up there, but you're down here now with another yid who's suffering, you have to suffer with him. You have to speak his language, you have to be where he is. You have to put his arm around his shoulder and cry. And when someone asks you for forgiveness, you don't say, oh, there's nothing to forgive you for, it's all God. No, 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 no. You're down here with a real person who really wronged you, who harmed you, you have to really forgive him. Yosef is up there, and that's fine when you're up there, but when you're dealing with people, you have to be down here with the people, and that's why he was held accountable for never having forgiven them. So we should always be zaycha, to be able to be up there with God when we need to be with God, but be down here with the rest of humanity, and Christ, when we need to be down here, offer sympathy, empathy, caring, kindness, and forgiveness to everyone, and we should have an amazing, wonderful, lichtige